0: All right, this will be a challenge. Board the trip over. I like to walk. All right, first of all, we'll start off by reading. We're in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you go there with me, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. All right. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, hello, hello, we on, are we? All right. This is suffering. Suffering. Not really. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Let me start again. I think we ought to pray. That'd be a good place. I think. God, we we want to thank you that you are in control. You are the Almighty God, the one who we can call on and know that you see us, you hear us, and Lord, you answer prayers. And today in this house, we pray, Lord God, not in this building, but in this house, our very own hearts. Lord, would you speak, would you prepare our hearts to receive what it is that you would have us say? Not necessarily the words I speak today, but the words that you would want to say into the hearts of each and every one of us as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, Amen. So again, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We do thank you for your word, Lord. All right. Two things I want to talk about this morning. One is about God's will in our suffering, and the second is our response to to suffering. So they are the two key things I really want to talk to us about today. A youth group a couple of nights ago, or a couple of weeks ago now, we were travelling all the way through the Bible talking about things like repentance, forgiveness, uh, the ever-presence of God and so forth. And, and there were a couple of non-believing people there and, and um, one of the things that I asked was, how do we know the Bible is true? Well, if we're looking into this book and we're saying, this is fact, this is fact, this is fact. But how do we know that this Bible is true? One of the amazing responses, and there were a number of responses, but this is the one I want to talk about this morning. Is the response was, "But those apostles suffered for their faith. Why would they have suffered, even die, for their faith if they knew that the message that they taught wasn't true? Makes sense, doesn't it? I don't think we would. Sometimes we're probably even inclined to abandon our faith for the saving of our souls, or uh, for the saving of our bodies, then." Uh, than, than those apostles who even died. So, you know, I think we need to consider these things. The apostles, and it seems everybody who became a Christian in those days knew that becoming a Christian meant inherent suffering. That was the way it was. It's not any different in our world today, especially in some nations, not so much here. Apostle Peter wrote this letter to Christians scattered all throughout the Roman world. And then he wanted to remind them of the truth that as Christians you will suffer. You will suffer. It's not a nice message. Expect it, Peter says, be prepared for it. Don't be surprised when it comes because it will. One of the tasks of a minister of the Word of God, among many, is to prepare God's people. Is, is to prepare them for the coming of Christ. Is to prepare them to become like Christ to prepare them to become servants of Christ and also to prepare God's people for suffering in Christ. So all of that we can see, that it really is all about Christ, it's not about us. Suffering is one of those things that we need to be aware of and be prepared for because the truth is, many of us aren't. Many of us aren't. We can see the example to this. I'm sure that most of the people in this place today will have had somebody, a Christian person, they've had a conversation with who no longer comes to church, no longer follows Jesus because of some perceived hurt in times gone by, because they perhaps either weren't aware or weren't um, weren't willing to receive suffering. The truth is that you cannot pick up this amazing word and not see the suffering of God's people. If you don't see it, that's because you choose not to see it. And when you see the suffering of God's people, you have to see yourself in our suffering. We are God's people. There's this ever-increasing scrap heap of Christian people who have abandoned the faith because of suffering. When you think about it, for us to turn away from God in the middle of suffering seems to be the most illogical thing that you could possibly do. For where else would you turn in the middle of suffering to the world? What answers does it have? Only Jesus has the answer. So I don't understand why people would turn in the faith. While Westerners might turn from belief in God because of a tsunami that might happen on the other side of the world, And not being able to trust God in the middle of that suffering, in that very same tsunami, those people who have received it, those those people that it has happened to, are the very people who say, in the middle of this suffering, I need Jesus. The challenge is, this is one of the paradoxes of faith. Those who don't suffer much are the ones who try to keep people from God. While those who suffer greatly are the ones who turn to God and draw others to God. There's this author. Um, in his lifetime, he suffered very little for his faith. His name is Bart Ehrman, and he's a former evangelical Christian, uh, training even for ministry. He's a best selling author of a book called God's Problem. And this is where Ehrman says. The problem of suffering has haunted me for a very long time. It was what made me begin to turn to religion. Hallelujah. Suffering caused him to turn to to faith as a young person. And it's also what led me to question my faith when I was older. Ultimately, it was the reason I lost my faith. First of all, I just want to say, nobody can lose their faith. If you walk away from Jesus, it's a choice you make. It's a choice that you make. So you cannot lose your faith. Second of all, if you are a born again, remade, brand new creation in Christ Jesus, you can't become unmade. You can't become unsafe. Not even in your own choosing. If you are born again, you are. and if you wandered away, you are a Christian in the wilderness. And God will bring you back, even in Christ. God will bring you back. The other possibility, of course, is that you are a person who has spent many, many, many years in the congregation of God and have never really come to faith. You have experienced Christian-like things but you may never have come to the faith. That's going to be a very sad thing because on that day, on that great day of judgment, we're going to say those sorts of people are going to say to Jesus, "Well, did we not do this in your name and that in your name and Jesus is going to say to them, do you gone from me. you doers of evil? I never knew you. They're scary things. Ermine goes on to say, for most of my life I was a devout and committed Christian. I became very serious about my faith, even attending Mo- Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Chicago where I began training for ministry. I had a solemn Christian I had solid Christian credentials and knew about the Christian faith and then I started to lose my faith. I now have lost it altogether and I no longer believe nor consider myself a Christian. Pretty sad, is isn't it? It's a sad story. The reason why I could no longer explain how there could be a good and all powerful God actively involved in this world given the state of things. For many people who inhabit this planet Live a life of misery and suffering. I came to a point where I simply could not believe that there is a good and kindly ruler who is in charge of it all. One of the hardest things for us to get, I think the very end of what he says, a good and kindly God who, or ruler who is in charge of it all. he got something right. The God is in charge of it all. God is in charge of all. And one of the hardest things for us as Christians is to get our heads around the subject of suffering and God's sovereignty. It's not easy, it's challenging. Peter also says that if you suffer for Christ's sake, you are blessed. We see that in our passage this morning in verse 14, and I think it is, and we also see it in 1 Peter 3 9. And most of us today have this faith that God is the sovereign God of the Bible. Most of us will trust that the eye of the Lord is on us, that He listens to our prayers, and He turns His face from those who practice evil as a way of life. We are we, okay with that. We believe that as as, as something that's true. But do we, as people of faith, trust God enough? Do we trust him that, that God hears our prayers even in the middle of suffering? And not just Christians suffering their faith, but you, each one of us, as Christians, suffering for our faith. Do you continue to trust your sovereign God and his part in suffering in your personal experience of suffering, both in your faith and for your faith? Another story I want to read, story of polar opposites. Somebody who actually did suffer extremely in their faith. Not for their faith, but in their faith. It's about a Christian couple, Scott and Janet Willis, who suffered horrendously, not because of their faith, but in their faith, and an unskilled truck driver who bribed his way to get a licence to drive a truck. was driving down the, the, the um, Milwaukee freeway and his load fell off. And the car that was following was the Wilson's van. The petrol tank in that car exploded and killed six of their children. And this is their response. Scott Weller said, My overwhelming sense of loss initially prompted suicidal thoughts. The depth of our pain is indescri- indescribable. However, the Bible expresses our feelings that we sorrow in. But not as those without hope. What gives us our firm foundation for hope and the words are the words of God found in Scripture? Ben, Joe, Sam, Hank, Elizabeth, and Peter are all with Jesus Christ. We know where they are. Our strength rests in God's word. Janet, the wife, said. Our faith grew as we threw ourselves upon God for grace to live each day. I turned to God for strength because I had no strength. I went to the Bible with a hunger for God's presence and he met me. I learned about him. He made sense when nothing else made sense. If it weren't for the Lord, I would have lost my sanity, Janet said. Today I have a far greater understanding that the goodness of God than I did before the accident. Christians suffer. That's just how it is. They suffer sickness, disability, death. Death of loved ones. Natural disasters, financial disasters, career loss, abandonment and loneliness. And the list goes on. It's inexhaustible almost. Christians suffer for their faith. Churches are burning. Congregations are bombed while they're worshipping. Christians are evicted from homes and even their communities because of the faith they choose. Husbands are murdered. Christian women are raped and enslaved. Their children are forced to become Islamic child soldiers. All because of Jesus, suffering for your faith. The list and variety of suffering for Christians is almost limitless. Yet in the verse that we the first verse that we're going to be looking at this morning, we see this apparently bizarre contrary thing. And this is what it says, verse thirteen. Who is going to harm you? Who is going to harm you if you are zealous to do good? And when I read that, I thought, but all of Peter's letter up until this stage has been talking to Christians about the suffering that was going to come their way. The suffering that they were already in, but the intensity of it about to increase. And he says, what well, no one's going to harm you. This sounds like a contradiction, but what we do know, what we trust as Christians is that there's no contradictions in the word of God, it's just our misunderstanding. So we have to go searching. Whenever we see a contradiction, we need to search. We need to find out what the truth is. And so that's what we're going to do. We'll spend a little bit of time on this morning. Matthew chapter 10. Well, before we do that, I I, I want to just reiterate that we need to get a handle on suffering. It is so, so important. Because if we don't, we're going to be like those people that when it comes against us, we may find ourselves as shipwrecked faith. What the Apostle Paul talks about. Matthew ten, twenty-eight. Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty-eight. This is the context of Jesus sending out the disciples on the very first missionary crusade, the very first evangelistic crusade. And he's reminding them not to fear what may come their way when they preach about him. So Jesus says in verse twenty eight, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. No suffering. Somebody's going to kill your body. I'm pretty sure that's Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Lord goes on. And not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart. Look at this apart from the will of your father. So the father has his eyes on the sparrows that are sold for a penny. Yet not one of them is going to fall to the ground except by the will of God. Verse thirty and thirty-one of our same passage. And when the hairs of your and even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You we know, don't we, that many of the apostles were persecuted, or they were martyred, and if God is sovereign over the sparrows that fall to the ground. How much more sovereign is he, or just as sovereign is he, over those who are more valuable to him than the spouse? And these apostles suffered in God. Not by accident, not by some chance of evil, but by the will of the Father. Now, I don't know that we like this very much. I don't know that you might agree with me very much. We're going to have a little bit more of a look. You know, we seem to be okay with the idea that Christians suffer. Those Christians out there suffer. We might be okay with the idea that Christ, who is far more valuable to the Father than we are, who was absolutely perfect in his righteousness, not only he was the Father's very own son, whom he dearly loved, And on him, the Father brought the cup of suffering and the cup of judgment for sin. I'm not sure about that. This is what Jesus says. Have a look in Matthew 26, 29. Matthew 26, 29. My Father, if it is possible, we know this, don't we? We say it all the time. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering and of wrath pass from me, yet, not as I will, but as he that is new world. It's new word. People that Peter is writing to are Christians. They are the righteous of God. Verse 12 of 1 Peter 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. God is fully aware of every place his children are. Everywhere in our own situations, but every Christian throughout the world knows exactly where they are and what is going on in their lives. And we come back to the question, who is going to harm you if you're a jealous people good? Harm was coming on the people that Peter was writing to. There's no mistake about that. Does this mean that these Christians Peter was writing to in their suffering, that they were suffering because they were not zealous for doing good? Of course not. Or for that matter, was it that they weren't praying hard enough or they weren't praying the right prayers? Of course not. They would have been praying. They knew how to pray. Jesus taught them to pray. Was it because they had not enough faith? Verse 14 in our passage this morning. But even if you should suffer for righteous mistakes, for zealous good doing, you will be blessed. Oh, hard, isn't it? And I, and I feel for people who have really suffered this Christian in this Christian life. But this is what the Word says, and if we grab hold of it, if we take this, this truth into us, I think our Christian walk can be so much more solid. Then in verse, verse 17 we read, For it is better to suffer for doing good... Listen to this. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So again, verse thirteen: Who is going to harm you? Only. I think we have some answers here. Only those who God wills will allow to harm you. We're going to look at Job in a minute. Only those who God and who who is it that will that will suffer? Only those who God wills to will suffer. Is God's sovereignty? Challenging. It challenges our thinking, it challenges our understanding. But He is absolutely sovereign. Take a really quick look at Job. One of the deepest questions that nearly everybody, at least you should ask if you don't ask it next time you read it, you should ask Who brought the suffering on Job? The book tells us plainly. If you read the book for what it says, it tells us plainly. Job chapter two verses nine and ten. Job two nine to ten. Job's wife said to him, Are you still continuing to be faithful to the Lord? Speak evil things against him or curse God and die. Listen to Job's response response. You are talking like a foolish woman. We accept good things from God, and we do, don't we? Every single day we say, praise God for your many blessings. Remember, nothing a blessing. And then he says, so we should also accept trouble when he sends it. Despite everything, the very next part of this passage, despite everything, Job didn't say anything that was sinful didn't get that wrong when he said that. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He didn't say anything simple. Job 42.11 Job 42.11 Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil, and the word there is disaster or calamity, that the Lord had brought upon him. Do we know why the Lord brought all this on Job? For God's glory. The chief end of man is the glorification of God. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about lifting his name on high. It's about glorifying God. What about the word suffer in our passage? Peter talks a lot about suffering and persecution throughout this book as as we go, as we but I think that we should actually broaden our our, our view of suffering. It's not just about persecution as Christians. What about when somebody might give us a phone call and say, I really need you to come around and pray for me? Got stuff going on in my life and I really want you to come around and you get in your car and you drive down the road and somebody T bones you. Suffering for Christ. You're about to serve Jesus. But God intervened in that. Why? We we don't necessarily know. Only that He wants you to wear Jesus on your skin when you interact with the people in that accident. What about what about as a school chaplain? When you go into somebody's room. And you see a teacher there and you say, hey, what's going on? I haven't caught up with you for a while and all he wants to do is pour out his vile anger against God and against Israel for what's happening in Gaza and me as a Christian, as an evil Christian spreading my poison in the school. It's suffering for Jesus. All of these things are suffering for Jesus. So... All of the stuff that happens to us inside of faith is a suffering that God knows is going to come on you. And if He wills it for you, then He's going to be your strength in the middle of it if you turn to Him for strength, just like the will of His good. Verse 14 says, Those who suffer for doing good are blessed. What is the blessing? First and foremost, the eyes of the Lord are on you. Well, first and foremost, you're saved. Right? That's it. God has saved you. He's drawn you out of darkness and He's given you this incredible life to live inside of faith. What what amazing blessing that is. Even if suffering comes on you for that. But what else? Well, the eyes of the Lord are on you. He watches you every move. He knows exactly where you are, He knows what you need. He hears your prayers. He might not answer your prayers how you want them to be answered, but he hears you. He hears the pain of your heart. <clears throat> he hears the struggles that you go through. He hears about conditions. What a blessing. But even in the middle of dark times, by God's grace, he can let you have good days. He can let you have good days. Matthew 5 says, um that there is a reward in heaven for those who suffer all sorts of violence it says that it with spirit and the glory of God rests upon you these are all the blessings of us who are Christians who suffer they're all our Christian blessings irrespective of whether we suffer or not verse 15 says I think it has two parts to this verse. Um, and I really want to, this is probably the focus point, I think, the focus verse for us this morning. And I'm going to read the second part first. Verse 15, the second part says, Always being prepared to make a defense or give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The question I ask is, What is it about someone in the middle of all of their troubles, in the middle of what might the world might look at it and go, This is misery? What is it about you that they might see hope in you? And the second is, what is it about that hope that they see that they that causes them to ask the question? Maybe they say something like this, I don't get it, says a terrorist. I persecute you, I bring hurt on you and destroy your family, your people, and you still live with such joyful hope. This is true testimony. People who find themselves in this situation, Christians who have suffered so much, and yet when a terrorist finally comes to them and says, tell me about that hope, it's that attractive, beautiful hope that causes them to come and ask those who they terror. terrorised. Uh, Many of you know the story of this guy called Wormbrand. You will realise that he suffered extreme suffering for his faith. And yet even while he was in jail, forced to eat excrement, punished, beaten all the time, his clothes stolen, his food stolen before he could even get it. And yet still, when he found himself seeking after God, he found strength to stand strong and strength to be joyful. And those very persecutors were the ones that came to him in, in their darkest hour and said, all I've noticed from you is your hope. In the middle of all this suffering that i brought on you, I noticed your hope. Tell me about your hope. Now we can have a look at the first part of this verse, and I think it sums it up. But uh, In your heart, honour Christ as... honour a, a Christ the Lord as holy. The NIV says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. This is, I think, the secret for us all. And I've been talking about it already. This is the hope that we, that we as Christians have. That even in the middle of our suffering, we make a big deal out of Jesus. Because he's worth it. That in every part of your life, every situation, you live it for Jesus. You set him above your suffering, above your fears, above your persecution, above your sickness and your loss and your trials, and above your rights and your hunger, above your desires, above your feelings and above your sorrows. If you live seeking Jesus, setting him above all of these things, you will have joy in the Lord because your eyes will be off your suffering and on where I need to be. This is what catches the eyes of unbelievers this is what catches the eyes of those who are weak in the faith those without real hope. This is what Paul says in Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 to 33 chapter 10 verses 31 to 33. So wh- whether you eat or drink or whatever you do even suffer do it all for the glory of God it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, this is a warning for us as Christians, in our suffering. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. I wonder if we ever realise that our enduring of suffering with joy and goodness may be the catalyst, for someone to be saved. All things to the glory of God, even accepting suffering as blessing, because in it we bring glory to Him by the way that we respond. So verse fifteen is plain, but in your heart set apart apart Christ as Lord. It it's about Jesus, it's about his glory. It's about living in such a way that when anyone around you is expecting you to curse God because of the situation that you're in and they want you to fall apart, they see your strength and they see your joy, the joy that you have in the Lord. No, church, we cannot afford to neglect the reality of suffering as a Christian both in our faith and for our faith. We cannot afford to be uninformed about suffering lest we abandon walking with Jesus. We cannot afford to believe as a Christian, God would never cause me to suffer. Or will doubt his sovereignty when when suffering does come. We cannot afford to live lives with downturned smiles. You know those Christians, don't you? With downturned smiles, anxious and fearful, embittered and broken, lest we cause an unbeliever to stumble and not come back to Jesus, to rob Jesus of the glory that he might just get from us or from someone coming to faith. So, my challenge for us this week, in all things, even in the difficult ones, the extremely difficult ones, those most personal. Sufferings. Smile. Be zealous for Jesus. Be zealous for doing good, even if it brings discomfort and suffering. Let me pray. Father, one of the things that we know from your word, sometimes I think we get this a little confused, is that you don't promise an easy life as a Christian. Lord, the, the Word of God tells us that, that broad is the road and wide the gate that leads to death. There's so many people travel that road, but that narrow road, Lord, that one with a small gate and a narrow road, it has its path. A Lord for each and every person in this place today and every person in this world right at the moment who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord. I pray for them, Lord that you will cause them to set apart Christ as Lord right at this moment, to take their eyes off their own situations, the terrible sufferings that they may be enduring, not to make the light of them, but to find hope in the middle of darkness, as we turn our eyes to Jesus. God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. gonna come and